Caraca! Ten! Hey! I is. Alright, first things first, I'd like to quote, quote the words of the general, George Clinton. And he said, simply, if you hear any noise, it's just me and the boys. So fearless army, <laughs> I need you to hit me. I need you to hit that like button. I need you to hit that subscribe button. And in case you ain't figured this out yet, this show is preoccupied and dedicated to the preservation of the motion of men. So you already know the deal. Jason needs five stars. Okay, so just do it. Let me tell y'all something. Back in Kansas City as well as in California, Jason would do a lot of work to support single mothers. He even supported some of them through college as well as medical school. Supporting some of them by pledging just simply $1 at a time. He's such a giving man. So please, won't you give him five stars today? Real quickly in the news today, Dana White, president of the UFC, was just one of the latest victims to be diagnosed with COVID. So he sought the advice of Joe Rogan regarding his treatment of the coronavirus or his diagnosis. Now I'm gonna tell you something, I'm not even gonna lie, I feel some kind of way about this. Considering the fact that Joe Rogan was the one that contacted me about COVID and what I did to get over it. Remember, I'm the one that told you, I'm the one that gave Joe Rogan the information about the ivermectin and the amoxicillin. And now he's getting all the credit for it. Is that how we doing it now, Joe? Okay, okay, I'm just letting you know, man, I need my cut, okay? All right, anyway, you should have told Dana White to holler at your boy, but that's okay, I see how we doing it. Anyway, listen here, man, we got a great show planned for y'all today. And as Jason says it, he calls it the day before Friday. Or as me and everybody else around here call it, we call it the day before fade, payday. All right, first of all, it gives me great pleasure to announce the fact that we have the first lady of the Fearless family. And of course, I'm talking about none other than the real Shamika Michelle. She's gonna be back in here blessing us with her presence, as well as sharing her thoughts on Jason's latest article. And also we have returning to to, to the Fearless Army, we have the pit boss, Royce White. And he and Jason are gonna be discussing the mentality of the state of the left. And lastly, and darn sure not leastly, we have our guy, Steve Kim. He's back on the show. Some of y'all don't know this, but Steve took Jason back home with him not too long ago to meet his people. And as soon as Jason stepped off the plane, the first thing that people started yelling was, Godzilla! Anyway, he's gonna be here to discuss the latest news in football, Notre Dame, and this whole Keith Oberman debacle. Well now, it's that time. You know, man, I know some of y'all don't like this Uncle Jimmy gimmick and you think it's silly, but you know what? Every time I asked, I get somebody to type dilly dilly. You know why? It's because they feel me. So as usual, release the doves, release the hounds, bring out the man that's just as big as he is round. Give it up to Jason Whitlock, y'all. Happy uh, day before Friday. Uh, 
I don't even know when I get paid. So it can't be the day before payday or maybe it is. All right. Fantastic show on tap. I'm about to start a fire. Uh, and Shamika Michelle is going to help me fan the flames to this fire. Uh, this question that I'm starting with is, will seem highly partisan and inflammatory. It is asked, however, very sincerely and without malice. Has the agenda of Democrats become so secular and distant from objective truth that it causes people who adopt a liberal progressive identity to go insane? I ask this question out of genuine concern for the sanity of Keith Olbermann, a broadcaster I once admired and many people I love whose identity and worldview are tied to politics, particularly left-wing politics. Modern-day progressive politics requires a rejection of objective truth and traditional Christianity. You must believe men can be women, that abortion is not an issue of morality, but of choice, that white people are God and in control of your destiny, that George Floyd is a hero and Cal Rittenhouse is a terrorist, that Donald Trump's mean tweets are an existential threat, that flagpoles can be the primary weapon in a deadly insurrection. You must also believe that rogue cops are, more le are a more lethal threat to black men than street gangs. A rejection of truth and faith makes insanity inevitable. I'm concerned for my family and friends. I'm afraid they will go down the same path as Keith Oberman, an intelligent person forced to ignore truth to protect his political ideology and brand. Yesterday, via Twitter, Oberman used the tragic school shooting in Michigan to attack Barstool Sports and its founder, Dave Portnoy. Oberman retweeted a Barstool story about a high school football player who lost his life during the school shooting while trying to protect his classmates. Oberman complained, quote, this kid died to stop a school shooter whose mother echoed the Trumpist fascism of Stuhl Presidente and Barstool Sports. So uh, let me get this right. Dave Portnoy and Donald Trump radicalized a 15-year-old sophomore to shoot up Oxford High School. You need proof? Well, Oberman pointed to a 2016 blog post written by the alleged shooter's mother. The blog post praised Trump. She wrote in part, Mr. Trump, this is why I voted for you. I see the change that we desperately need. I see jobs coming back, people having to work for their hand handouts, money going to who really deserve it. If this blog even makes it to your eyes, thank you from the bottom of my heart. So let me get this straight. Within 48 hours, corporate media politicized the Oxford High School shooting. This is insanity mixed with a heavy dose of hypocrisy. The Daily Beast wrote a story profiling Ethan Crumley, who is white. The Daily Beast dug up the old blog post from Crumley's mother. The story included lots of information about the shooter's parents, both mom and dad. 
Crumley shot up his high school on Tuesday, three days ago. Let's contrast corporate media's coverage of Crumley to Daryl E. Brooks, the accused Waukesha mass murderer. Does Brooks even have parents? He committed his attack 12 days ago. Has anyone written a detailed story about Brooks's upbringing, his parents' political beliefs? I can't find it. The big lie, the one the Democrats keep talking about, the biggest lie being perpetrated on the American public is that liberals are seeking racial justice. They're seeking racial division and political power through that racial division. It's not just Olbermann. Yesterday, longtime political broadcaster Mark Lamont Hill, who does a show now on the Black News Network, I believe, he conducted an interview with two women discussing abortion rights and the Supreme Court's possible rejection of Roe versus Wade. Brittany Cooper, an associate professor at Rutgers University, turned the discussion of abortion rights into a deranged rant about political conservatives not caring about black babies and concern about demographic anxiety. She opened her rant by taking morality off the table. Listen, wa watch this clip. And we get caught up in the moral arguments about this, and this isn't about that. This is about our right to have self-determination and autonomy. And it is also about Lori's point, which is we wanna build strong, healthy black families. When these Republicans say that this is, you know, that abortions have killed so many black babies, y'all know they don't care about black babies. What in their, in their policy <laughs> agenda is cares about black babies? They don't care about our families, right? They care about their right to control. And let me add one last thing. They also care about making white women have more children. This is also about their own demographic anxiety because we know that white populations are rapidly becoming the minority because of capitalist structures, folk that part can't support these families. And because of that, they need white women to have more babies. And white women are like, look, but we can't support these kids. Uh, you know, we, we can't give them these middle class lifestyles. So that's what's going on here. And if that means that you have to then take away reproductive access for women of color as a byproduct of trying to control everybody's reproduction, then these men are up for the task. And we've got to stand up and we've got to say wow. hell no. When I first saw this, I, I, I'm not kidding. The visual image made me go, is this like a Saturday Night Live skit, an In Living Color skit? And, and I'm just, just the visual image is like, this is a joke. But, but it's really an example, Cooper is an example of where hyper-secularism leads. Morality is a non-issue. Morality is just an impediment to freedom, pleasure, and political identity. In their mind, in my mind, morality ended slavery. Jim Crow gave women the right to vote, made domestic violence taboo. Now we don't need morals. No reason to get caught up in morality. The left is unhinged. Keith Olbermann's descent into lunacy epitomizes where the left is headed. During the 1990s, Olbermann was one of the best sports broadcasters in America. He and Dan Patrick co-hosted a lively and fun version of ESPN Sports Center. 
Oberyn later moved to Fox Sports and led that network's coverage of Major League Baseball. In the early 2000s, hell, I enjoyed Oberyn's work at MSNBC when he pivoted to politics and became a liberal firebrand and President George W. Bush's harshest critic. During that era, I made frequent appearances on all of the cable news networks, CNN, MSNBC, and Fox News. You did not have to agree with the host to appear on their show or network. I was and am a political free agent. When Oberman left MSNBC to rejoin ESPN in 2013, I was honored to be the very first guest on his nightly ESPN show, Oberman. Whether I agreed or disagreed with Oberman, I found him extremely intelligent and thought of him as honest. That is no longer the case. Oberman is crazed. He frequently says and does things that make me question his mental stability. It would be easy to blame it on Trump derangement syndrome. The rise of America's 45th president has certainly frustrated leftists. But Trump derangement is a symptom of a much larger problem. It's the detachment from reality and God that has short-circuited leftists. You can't live a lie, defend lies, build arguments on lies and half-truths and remain sane. I'm t yesterday, when I saw what Oberman did, when I watched the Mark Lamont Hill video with uh, two tons of fun, uh, Brittany Cooper, and I think the other woman's name, Lori Bertram Roberts, I think is her name. She's from out of Mississippi. And look, I know I'm fat. I don't care. That looked like a Saturday Night Live skit. That looked like a minstrel show. Who, this, Lori person or whatever with the red hair who's and I got a clip from her I, I want to pl play the I want to play the clip from her as well she she's claiming to be black and I looked at additional pictures she is but who knows what she is that look like homie the clown does anybody remember in living color homie the clown that's who she looked like, homie the clown. And that's who she sounded like, play the clip. So like all of these things um, already intercede and, and block people's lives, whether or not they wanna decide to, to um, become a parent. And then when you take another thing away that takes that makes it possible for you to decide whether or not you want a parent or not, it's always gonna fall disproportionately on us because we already disproportionately end up with unplanned pregnancies because of medical racism, because of classism, because of all of these things that are oppressive in our states already. We already have a lack of comprehensive sex ed. We have a lack of all kinds of structural things that would make it easier for people to plan their pregnancies, for people to make better informed reproductive decisions. But we don't support those things in Mississippi. We don't support parenting. We don't support equal pay. We don't support, you know, childcare. We don't support 
paid time off for you know for um when you have children we don't support family leave none of that free child care we barely let people get on tanf we are one of the most restrictive states for tanf in the country so anytime i hear phil bryant and tate reeves get on tv or get on a talk show talking about how we just want to protect the babies and we want to make sure that you know we're protecting children but you don't care about children you don't this woman basically said that when black people have unplanned pregnancies it's the fault of white people. It's white racism that did that. I, I've talked about on this show, I was involved in an unplanned pregnancy that did not end well. No white person pulled my penis out and stuck it in an unprotected vagina. It had nothing to do with white people. This, this is insanity, this is the lies that these people are living every day. That their actions, again, this is supposed to be a conversation, uh, Brittany Cooper's talking about self-determination and autonomy, uh, the red priestess, homie the clown, she's talking about, it ain't about self-determination and autonomy, it's about racism. And that's why we have unplanned pregnancies. I, I just, uh, Shamika uh, is joining us, and Shamika, help me out here. Do you think Mark Lamont Hill and or Two Tons of Fun, do you think they believe anything that they actually said? Do they really believe that? Jason, I need your permission to address the elephants in the room. Or, or, or <laughs> Because this has me so upset, Jason. First of all, let's talk about the fact that uh, Lori Bertram Roberts is biracial. So this goes to exactly what we've been saying the entire time, that it's always the light brights and almost whites that have the most to say about racism and the most to say about being oppressed. See, I would body slam her, but I can't lift her. So I just want to treat her like Goliath and hit her with a few smooth stones right now. That first one is that she's biracial. So the fact that you are, are oppressed in, in race, I, I can't take it. I can't take it, Jason. And I'm so upset right now. This is what Ronald McDonald would look like after 30 years of Big Macs. No, they don't believe what they are saying. She has seven children. She had seven children by the time she was 30 years old. She's been in an abusive relationship and I feel like there's a type and I'm tired of women that don't like men being the loudest voice. The reason why she doesn't support nuclear families is because she didn't think they were important for having her own children. By the time she was 16, she had her first child and went and married a man who was abusive to her. This is where the hate stems from. I, I'm gonna let I'm gonna let you talk because I got a few more stones. I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I when I first watched the video, I was like, 
oh, they talking about abortion. Are these even candidates? And then I did the research and found out like uh, Lori Bertram, who I've ne first time I've ever heard of her was yesterday. First time I've ever spoken her name is today, right now. But she already has me preemptively blocked over Twitter. <laughs> Cause I went to go look for her and found out I'm like, like, so she's heard of me and must knew that at some point she was going to run into some Jason Whitlock smoke. But I did do the homework and found out like she got seven kids and, 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 and she's an abortion advocate, this passion. I was like, I wonder how many kids was she really supposed to have if she's had seven and she's this strong of an advocate of abortion. How many it's Every time she tricks somebody into sleeping with her, uh, she must have taken some fertility drugs or something. Uh, and I, I, I don't want to just make it a personal attack, but I do think there's a bitterness and an unhappiness with their lives that's driving a lot of this. Do you agree? I definitely agree. And and obviously she has seven children. So there are men who like to play hot the hot dog with the hippo. So uh, the, the other thing, Jason, is not only does she have seven children, she has also come out as a lesbian. So I always feel like there's a type. She wrote a story about being uh, smitten by a blonde uh, a blonde girl and not just I want to play play with you on the playground, having feelings for for her. So in 2015, I believe it was or sometime in the 2000s, she came out as a lesbian after having seven children. Now you want to be with a woman. Now you have all these feelings that you've ha had for years and have had to hide for women. And so this is why I get so angry with them being the loudest voice, because you don't even like men. You don't even want a man. You don't even think a man is capable of, of leading his family. This is why you have so much to say. And this is why you support abortion and feel like we should just be killing our kids. It's not simply because you know, this is reproductive health. And I'm tired of them even saying reproductive health because reproduction is the act of reproducing. So talking about abortion is not reproductive health. That is killing babies. That's what is what it is. And you try to make it sound good, but that's not reproduction. She also has health issues. She used some of the money that came from what she calls the Trump bump, people sending money to her to get her a uh, handicap accessible van because she often has to use a wheelchair because of the health that she's in. So when she talks about we just want women to be healthy, you don't even believe that. You don't believe that with the size that you are. This is not about women being healthy. This is about you hating men and hating the fact that uh, nuclear families are what's best for, for children, period. And, and this thought, Jason, I'm sorry, this thought that women don't know that they're pregnant by 15 weeks. I'm so sick of this. The same women that are, are marching around here talking about we need rights and we're equal are the same women that now act like a woman can't count 
her menstrual cycle. And then if they read anything other than a menu, they would know that a, a last menstrual period is a part of the menstrual cycle. And a woman should be able to count that. If you cannot Something is wrong with you. If you cannot, you are not one of these women that we need to be telling people, oh, you need to look up to black women. Black women are the smartest people on the planet. Black women are going to lead us into our freedom. You're now saying black women can't even count. We can't count now. That's the issue with me. So the, the thought that we don't know when we're pregnant is, is very insulting to me because you have a sign. The first sign is that the second sign would be that raw. So I'm sick of this whole foolishness that we need to stand up at and and they're trying to take over our bodies and they're trying to control us. And this is about white supremacy. No, it's not. Either we're smart enough to count our cycle or we're not. Either we're smart enough to lead or we're not. And if we can't do that, get back in the kitchen. Brittany Cooper moving to, and she calls herself Professor Crunk uh, over Twitter. I'm not making that up. You may read it as Professor Chunk, but it's actually Professor <laughs> Crunk. Uh, she opened the comments talking, let's take morality off the table. And, and, and like abortion isn't, let's don't even discuss the morality of it. This is about self-determination and autonomy. Can, that to me is one of the most secular, godless, atheist statements that you could make publicly is like, I don't even want to talk about the morality of the decision I'm making. Now let's have the discussion. I, that was perhaps most offensive and enlightening to me. Well, when she talks about body uh, autonomy, does does that include pushing back from the table? Does that include actually caring about whether or not you are a uh, uh, poster pig for diabetes and high blood pressure? I, I Jason, I'm this just has me so heated right now. And I'm so angry because I'm tired of people not wanting to take accountability for their own actions and constantly pointing to someone else uh, for where they are in life. How can you take morality off the table? How can you do that? This is a child. This is a life. And you have the decision as to whether or not you want to produce this life. From the very beginning, we, we aren't talking about women that are being molested or being raped because that's less than 1% of abortion cases. We're talking about women who are going out here living any kind of way and not being responsible for their own actions. And a lot of times using abortion as a method of birth control. You know how not to get pregnant. If, if you don't, you have no business having sex, period. So we can't take morality off the table because that it starts with having morals. Do you have morals to not be spreading your legs to every Tom, Dick and Harry? Do you have morals to know that this isn't something that you should be doing outside of the confines of marriage? And even if you don't believe that, why not at least have morals to know that you shouldn't be allowing a man to, to shoot his seed in you if this isn't a man that you can trust to be a father.
it starts with morality. We can't take that off the table. What should we think of Mark Lamont Hill? He's leading this discussion. He's granting them a platform and trying to elevate their voice. Uh, he, he's, he's the one that I think kept referring to childbearing people. Uh, he would, he never, I don't think he ever said pregnant woman or blah, blah, blah. He, he's, he and Brittany Cooper love, and the other woman too, Lori, whatever, love childbearing people. What, what should we think of Mark Lamont Hill? Mark Lamont Hill is a beta male who has his nuts shoved in a pair of pink panties. There is no way that I would even uh, acknowledge or think to listen to somebody, especially a man who cannot say out of his mouth that a woman is the only person that can get pregnant. The fact that he came out about a year or so ago saying that, you know, well, you know, pregnant people, only a woman can get pregnant. I can't take him seriously for that alone. And I say all the time, Jason, there are two types of men. There's that man that says, oh, I, I, I wonder if she's going to like this penis. And then you have the man that says, I know she won't this. Mark Lamont Hill is the beta male that that's wondering whether or not she wants this penis. That, those type of men you can't take seriously. Those type of men are not masculine. They aren't manly and they are a waste of flesh. Uh, thank you, Shamika. I'm going to roll out to Los Angeles and bring in the Korean Cosell and talk about the Keith Oberman side of this conversation. Uh, Keith started out as a great sports broadcaster and uh, Steve Kim and I have both uh, followed his entire career, so we'll get to Steve Kim. But first, I want to tell you about uh, the film Enemies Within the Church is a powerful call to believers everywhere about what is going on with Christianity today. This is a movie that many in power within the evangelical community do not want you to see. It shows those who are selling out the church to postmodernism ideologies and the money behind them social justice, intersectionality, critical race theory, and neo-Marxism have not just been inserted into the more liberal churches, but have started to spread everywhere. Enemies within the church will expose the bad ideas, but also the bad actors and the bad money. Christians need to see what is being done without their knowledge. This film brings together voices from across the nation and the world to share what they have seen. Every Christian and patriot needs to see this film and then share it with everyone you know. I encourage you to go buy the DVD or purchase the pay-per-view streaming at enemieswithinthechurch.com. That's enemieswithinthechurch.com. My friend, uh, Judd Saul, participated in the making of this film. I can't wait for you to see it. Uh, the Korean Cosell, Steve Kim. Next! I may have said the Korean Cosell uh, was in Los Angeles, but he's actually in Las Vegas uh, for another fight weekend. Uh, but I wanted to bring uh, Steve in to talk about uh, Keith Oberman 
and his descent into a level of insanity and bitterness that's mind-blowing. He somehow turned the Michigan-Oxford High School school shooting into an attack on Dave Portnoy and Barstool Sports, and of course, Donald Trump. Uh, so Steve, I I'm wondering, were you ever a Keith Oberman fan? I certainly was. And even after he went hard left, I was still a Keith Oberman fan and someone I respected. But over the last five or six years, he's just gone well off the deep end. And I, I, I think this latest attack on Portnoy and Barstool Sports, it, it, it's, it's almost, I'm not angry at Keith Oberman. I actually feel sorry for him. Yeah, Jay, I don't want to date myself completely, but as a, a very young child in Valencia, California, 1985, right around that era, a young Keith Overman came on the scene and he was at two networks. It was at KTLA5, a local station. Then he went to KCBS and he became a thing. He was very smart, very intelligent, a little bit quirky. And he had a different view of sports that was very intelligent, a little bit of highbrow humor. And what I loved about him as someone that collected cards, he would actually do segments on baseball cards and what sets to get and controversies within the industry and what he was investing in. And then as he grew, he did like these great postgame shows after the playoff games with I think Joe McGrain. And they'd have like these inside jokes and eventually he moved on to ESPN. So yes, I was actually there at the very genesis of the KO kid, as they used to call him out there derisively with some of his critics. Uh, Jay, he wasn't always this guy. You're absolutely right about that. There was a time he was an individual that covered sports in a different manner, and it was very, very interesting. It was funny. It wasn't for everybody. But somewhere along the way, he became politically active, which is fine, politically expedient, and then politically outspoken. And unfortunately now, he has devolved into being a political zealot. At what point, I mean, you saw his rise at ESPN, you saw his rise as a political commentator. Was there any point earlier than five years ago where you were like, oh my God, Keith Overman <laughs> is headed down a bad path, a, down, a bad track? I'm, I'm just trying to figure out was I naive for not seeing this long ago, maybe during his MSNBC days? The signs were there, Jason. If you go back, and I didn't hear that many things about his run in L.A., but when he started leaving ESPN and then he started being on more teams than Jimmy Jackson in the NBA, you started to wonder, like, why? Why is it an incredibly intelligent, talented guy who has a lot to say um, moving around so much? And there's always this trail of stories about how difficult he was, how temperamental he was. He was not an easy guy to work with. And I'm with you, Jay. When he is last run at ESPN, when he hosted that nightly show, which was more like a commentary on the state of sports with a lot of politics and societal issues mixed in, I enjoyed it. I'll be the first to tell you I watched that every night. But somewhere along the way, I think like a lot of other public figures, they got the cue that Donald Trump is the enemy and we are supposed to hate him at all costs. And I think that's where he went over the edge. That's where I would say is that particular sign or stamp in the road or fork in the road that he took. And once you take that turn, I'm not so sure there's ever any turning back. And so do you think 
it's just Trump derangement that took him down this path. I think that's a large part of it. Uh, you know, when you are here's a, I've said this before and I've heard other people say it. it's not a term that I've made up, certainly. But politics is the new religion. And there's almost like this dogmatic bent that with any political figure, you can't just disagree with them half the time or some of the time or 99 percent of the time. You either have to be all in on them or all out with them. And it, depending on where you stand on what side of the aisle, there is no compromise. And Keith Olbermann, to me, somewhere along the way, devolved into what he is now. And it's sad because it's like, look, the pro- guy probably has an IQ of over 200 or whatever is really high. He probably could be Mensa. But there's something very off about him. When you care that much about things like this, because I think I have a theory. Most everyday, hardworking Americans actually care about their job, their livelihood, their family, and how they're going to feed them or support themselves. Uh, All of the uh, external factors in terms of what celebrities think or what politicians do, I think are very outside. But there are people that are so focused in on this, it becomes their life. It's become a three-dimensional being that they always feel like they have to to have some sort of emotion over. Um, But does it surprise me that Keith Olbermann has tied that shooting in Michigan to Dave Portnoy and Barstool or, or anyone that had any type of tacit support of Donald Trump? Of course it doesn't. All right, I'm going to ask you a tough question, and it's a tough question for me and you. You, I, I, I want to be honest and transparent here, and I want to uh, beat my critics to the punch. You talked about Oberman and said, man, he went from this job to this job to this job. He's a very smart guy, super talented, blah, blah, blah. And the, the, the signs were all there, you know, because he was jumping from this job to this job. I know my critics listen to you say that and go, you're talking about Whitlock. <laughs> and, and so what, what is, what's the difference between me and Keith Ober? Okay, let's be fair about this. Let's play the cards out on the table. I am here in Las Vegas. Outside of one job, the run at ESPN at the end where undefeated never really launched. Jay, you can tell me, you know your story better than I do. What job did you really leave a lot of bones in the closet? Look, it it is natural, especially in, in a capitalistic society, to move on to better gigs. I don't think anyone expected you to be in Kansas City for the rest of your career. You just were not built like that. Uh, I think a couple of your other jobs, I'm not even so sure that their archives exist. So I'm not so sure if there was any future in staying at those places much longer. So look, we all change jobs. There's no doubt about it, but there, there was a time, I remember websites like Deadspin would really have like these long detailed pieces on Keith Oberman and why he left each job. There's a difference between a coach that keeps elevating to better jobs because they're winning 10, 11 games and winning conference titles, and then they get hired by a bigger school, then eventually they get hired by another bigger school, then they get hired by the NFL. But there's a, and there's other guys that are just wear out their welcome and nobody wants them around anymore. So I'm not so sure one size fits all here in that description. Uh, So I'm gonna answer the question and say that, because one, I do know my narrative quite well, and one of my my, my critics would say, well, hold on, man, after 16 years as the Kansas City Star, man, you burned that bridge on your way out the door. And so it it wasn't my skeletons, 
there's no one in Kansas City that can say I mistreated them other than maybe some of the people I covered, Carl Peterson, general manager of the Chiefs, or Marty Schottenheimer. They may have some complaints. But people at the Kansas City Star saying, like, I was bad to work with or unreliable or any of that, they got none of that. Now, did I expose the skeletons of some of the people I work with? Yes, and that irritated them on my way out the door, but that was after 16 years. And, and the other, most of the other decisions that I made <clears throat> were about advancing my career forward, either taking a better job or moving to a job that paid more or some, you know, I, I left a radio station in Kansas City and took the financial hit so that I could concentrate more on my writing because I knew I would make the money back up on the other end. And yes, the, the last experience at ESPN was, you know, very toxic and, and problematic, but that was, to me, I was one of the first victims of this political Me Too movement that we got going on where they, you know, there's just no way black liberal people were going to allow me, a non-political person or an objective person or what they consider conservative, uh, run the undefeated and, I, and I, was, I was run out. But I just, I think the other thing, I just don't take myself as seriously as Keith Overman seems to take himself. I got no problem laughing at myself, uh, copying to my mistakes. Uh, I, I'm as hard on me as I am anybody that I cover. That's why I kind of laugh Like people think I'm hard on LeBron James. And I'm like, you ever read the stuff or listen to the stuff I say about myself? Uh, so anyway, I wanted to ask you that question. Just, just beat my critics to the punch. Uh, your boy Marcus Freeman, before I asked mm. you about being out in Las Vegas, your boy Marcus Freeman, uh, you predicted he might be the next head coach <laughs> at Notre Dame, and it looks like that's going to happen. Okay, before you crown me Kimstradamus, uh, other people had brought it up. I just I didn't say he was going to get the job. I said if Notre Dame wanted to be Takate, in other words, bold, I think that was the way to do it. And the way it's playing out, I like it because continuity is so important that I, I believe part of this deal that was engineered is that Tommy Reese, who played quarterback at Notre Dame about a decade ago, had a decent career, will stay on as the offensive coordinator. So this is a team that's still in the midst of a playoff run, probably going to finish in the top 10. The only risk is, is that Notre Dame will always be one of the top five most pressure-filled jobs. And I've always had a theory there are certain jobs in America, the Blue Blood programs, it's tough to be a first-time head coach. 35, may be old to be a first-time father. It may be too young to be a first-time head coach at Notre Dame. This is going to be very interesting. The players vouch for him. He seems to be a monster on the recruiting end. He has a really good coaching pedigree as a defensive coordinator. Now you have to be the CEO of one of the major brands in college football. I'm excited for him. I think he's going to do a really good job because I think he's ready for it. But again, that Notre Dame job is not an easy one. But on the flip side, I'll say this. I don't think this is Jerry Faust. He's built for this, in my opinion. But we'll see in about three, four years. I don't know enough to have a strong opinion. I, I'm rooting for him. I love the fact that he's a great recruiter and he just seems really buttoned up. Uh, so I'm certainly going to wish him well. He's getting an awesome opportunity. Uh, what are you in Vegas for? Who's fighting this weekend? And why is it important? 
Oh, it's the Devin Haney fight. He's fighting Joseph Diaz for the WBC lightweight title. Uh, last week, Teofimo Lopez, the guy that had most of the other belts, lost in a big upset to George Cambosis. I actually think this is a pretty good fight. Devin Haney is a very slick, tricky, well-schooled boxer against Joseph Diaz, 2012 U.S. Olympian. Uh, that's a clever grinder. I think it's a real fight down the stretch. And as we saw last week, anything can happen. This is why you fight the fights. And Jason, before I get out of here, I wanted to mention one thing about, about the irony. I know you're going to talk about this a lot during the show, uh, about Mark Lamont Hill hosting a show about reproductive rights. I had two thoughts because I know that you talked about it a lot uh, on Twitter and also during this program. Uh, Mark Lamont Hill, him hosting a, uh, a panel on this particular subject based on the fact he actually said men can produce babies. It, it's like having a driving school with the head instructor being Asian. Ba that just doesn't fit. Come on. What? The other thing. Yeah. That, uh... that, yeah. And the other thing, Jason, on a more serious note, um, one of the panelists said, and I forgot which one. I don't know if it was Professor Klump or the other one. But she basically equated the fact that if you make the rules equal in terms of the Roe versus Wade debate, and whether you uphold it or not, that it's, it's all about population control and controlling demographics. I have a question for anyone on that side of the table. Do you really believe that whether you um, reassert Roe versus Wade or take it away? Because I don't really have a strong opinion either way. Do you really believe that certain cultures, whether it's white, black, Asian, Hispanic, do you really believe that the rate of nuclear families would rise and fall just based on legislation? Because I would make the argument that that type of a statistic, and we all know the numbers, is more based on culture and acceptance than anything else. So I thought that was a real interesting panel that they had there. But Mark Lamont Hill uh, being the ringleader of it, I, I thought very ironic. It was bizarre, and uh, the red priestess, or homie the clown, uh, th that I like to call her, when she started arguing that unplanned pregnancy among black people was prevalent because of white racism, mm. I just, I, th there's this thing that black liberals believe that everything that we do as black people is a direct result of the actions of white people. White people are our gods in their mind, and there's nothing we can do. We can't even put a condom on without the consent, permission, the assistance of white people. That's incredible. We can't take birth control without the Consent. We yeah. can't practice abstinence. We, we can't. There's nothing we can do without the consent, the approval, or without white people loving us. So and think about it, Jay. That's just Sean Kemp, amazing. This is this is like Sean Kemp blaming Detlef Shrimp for all his children. But I'm just going to end this segment like that. You mentioned <laughs> Homie the Clown. Whitlock, don't play that. Whitlock, no, don't play that. <laughs> no, I, I don't play that. And. Uh, hey, I did want to tell you this, Steve, before I let you go. Uh, I'm, I know a guy that's coming on after you by the name of Royce White. He was a mm -hmm. first-round NBA draft pick. He told me yesterday he will be the heavyweight champion of the boxing world within the next five to six years. He's going to start out really? in MMA. Yes, in MMA. 
he's going to get a title there, and that he will eventually be a heavyweight boxing champion. I found I got to connect you two uh, and maybe get him on you and Mario's three knockdown show so he can talk about his passion. For He's been training for two years. He's having his first MMA fight uh, relatively soon. Uh, fascinating prediction, huh. and he sounds dead serious about it. You know, just keep this in mind, though. Uh, even I look good on a heavy bag. The heavy bag don't hit back. But I give any athlete credit that, that tries to do this. In the last 20 years, we've had guys like Jamil McCline and Michael Grant, big guys, uh, Gerald Washington, who played football at USC. Um, they all look good. And the one thing that they don't really have a grasp on is how to get hit properly with the chin down and rolling with punches. Quatrine Hill, former fullback at University of Miami, I got to know him very well. I give anyone credit that steps into that octagon or that ring. But, Jay, I'm just telling you, when you start getting those smaller gloves with no headgear and it's live fire, boy, it's different. But, again, a lot of credit to Royce White. He's a better man than I. Let me throw let me throw a couple of names out to you. I wasn't planning on doing this, but like, didn't Alonzo Highsmith, yes. former Miami running back, try boxing? And yes. and then I got another one. Ed Too Tall Jones. Didn't he try boxing? <laughs> Did, okay. am I, is my yes. memory right or wrong? Ed Too Tall Jones actually took a year off from football and ended up training with my good friend Ray Boom Boom Mancini. And Ray speaks very highly of Ed, said he was a very hard worker, very nice guy, had a couple of fights on CBS. And, and, and the best thing I could say about Ed Tutal Jones as a boxer was he had a great swim move. <laughs> OK, it, it didn't work out. Now, Lonzo Highsmith, <laughs> he actually retired because his knee blew out. He was a top five pick as a fullback, believe it or not. And I, I know Alonzo very well. I'm hoping that he has a role at the University of Miami football program very soon. He actually went about 20 and one, fought for Cedric Kushner, and his big fight was against Mark Gastineau in Japan. And I, I remember him thinking, if you lose to Mark Gastineau, this is worse than the 87 Fiesta Bowl loss. And, and he upheld the honor of the U by scoring a first-round knockout. And funny stories, I ended up giving a DVD of that fight card to him. He, I would have thought it was like the Celtic Sea Scrolls, the way he looked at it. But yes, he's probably the best modern-day football player that made the transition and actually had a decent career. All right, I got to let you go. I want to get to uh, Royce White. I'm going to pass along your well wishes. Uh, but first, I want to tell you about our new sponsor, Sweatblock. Look, as you guys can see, I'm a big guy, and big guys like myself, we tend to get a little sweaty, uh, no matter if we are performing sports or if we're delivering blazing fires on TV or if we're sitting down eating a great steak. We can get a bit messy. And the last thing we want to have is big, ugly sweat rings showing up on our clothes. That's why I use Sweatblock. Sweatblock is stronger than the normal antiperspirants, and more importantly, it's more effective. Plus, there's a dry shirt. Guarantee if Sweatblock doesn't keep you dry, you get your money back. Not only are they doctor recommended, but they are made right here in the USA. If you or someone you love is dealing with this issue, you have to check out Sweatblock. Get it today for 20% off at sweatblock.com with the promo code FEARLESS. That's sweatblock.com. Use the promo code FEARLESS. And it's not just about, and underarm sweat is definitely part of it, but they got all kinds of other great products that can block the sweat on your forehead and, and other areas to keep you dry and cool on a first date or giving a speech. 
You guys got to try. And look, it, it doesn't have to be something you use every day. You can roll it out for those special occasions, big date, big speech, big inter job interview. Maybe you're coming to get, uh, sit on this set on this show and you know I'm going to ask you tough questions. Sweatblock is for you. Go to sweatblock.com. Use the promo code FEARLESS. Royce White. X. All right, welcome back. Uh, let's roll up to uh, Minneapolis and bring in Royce White to uh, further our discussion on abortion, Keith Oberman, Mark Lamont Hill, uh, the two ladies from the rap group, Two Tons of Fun, uh, Brittany Cooper and Lori Bertram uh, Roberts, I believe is her name, uh, Homie the Clown, I think is the pseudonym she raps under. Uh, Royce, uh, one of the things that bothered me about the Mark Lamont Hill video is that the Brittany Cooper, the professor from Rutgers, said, let's not address the morality of abortion. Let's just take that off the table. This is not a discussion about morality. This is about self-determination and autonomy. I just don't see how you can distance almost any decision or any action from morality. And I, I said, I, I, when I heard her say that, I was like, well, well so let's suppose that uh, a white person went on TV and said, you know what? I don't want to talk about my racist actions or in a, from a moral sense. Let's just remove morality from the topic. And all I want to do is talk about is my neighborhood safe and the black criminality rate is X, Y, and Z. And so I don't want to talk about morality. I just want to talk about that. I got a right to do everything in my power to keep my neighborhood safe. I, I just, her discussion bothered me and the, the entire discussion uh, bothered me and, and, and I just, abortion is a issue of morality in my mind. Do you agree? Well, I, I took a um, glance at your article about leftism being, uh, or driving people to insanity. And it, it was, uh, it was interesting. It made me think, um, and, and I want to, I'll start there. Um, it's a two part question, but, but I'll start there. Because uh, I think it's important. I always like to come from the mental health angle first. I think it's the, the biggest social issue we face. Um, I'm, I want to be careful to conflate insanity, the, the clinical definition, and the casual use of insanity, right? There's a difference between saying, whoa, that's insane, or saying, you know, that person is, is clinically insane. And I, and I think the two should be kept separate. Um, you know, me mental health is a spectrum. Right. And, and there are different severities of insanity and there are different different uh, modalities of being sane as well. And, and I think that spectrum is what we have to acknowledge and, and adhere to. However, I will say that. As I see the leftism crisis, I think it is a crisis of femininity. Um, I think there is an effeminate neoliberal elitist authoritarian movement that's predicated on victimhood. And, and it's a victimhood that can be used after the fact for political capital, but it's also predicated on a moral relativism, which is what I think you're trying to address here. And, and the moral relativism, the problem with it is, as you go further and further, you run into an incoherence of logic, a failure of, of 
historicity. And that is that is the starting point of psychological deterioration. And, and it breaks down a person's cognitive map. There was a clinical psychologist that was trying to speak to the rise of anxiety diagnosis and depression diagnosis in our society. And he said that he thought a lot of people were being misdiagnosed, that at bottom, what they were suffering from is a, is a uh, clinical term called demoralization, uh, ironically. And it's defined as people who have, who are suffering from hopelessness, feeling helpless, um, but also have lost their sense of purpose and meaning. And I think when people lose their sense of purpose and meaning, they do some things that are pretty insane and they definitely uh, gravitate towards ideas that are pretty insane. And and the idea that abortion uh, on face value isn't a moral issue uh, is is something that we should casually agree is, is quite insane. Not clinically insane, but but um, not not clinically insane, but morally. I mean, but but casually. I, I like where you're taking the discussion when you start talking about a lack of purpose, a lack of hope, people being demoralized. And and so when I look at, and, and look, I'm not trying to personally be abusive to Brittany Cooper and Lori Bertram Roberts, but these are both two women that look like they're pushing 300 pounds and uh, one of them is uh, half black, half white with this, her hair dyed red. She looks like, if we could run the picture, she look, I said she looks like Homie the Clown. And, and, I, and so when I look, I'm like, okay, I could see where there's hopelessness. I, I could see where perhaps, because again, I've, dealt with a weight problem for a significant portion of my life, and I can see how that can become demoralizing and, and, and mess with your level of happiness. Uh, and, and, you know, I have a great career that I've been passionate about for 30 some odd years. So I have a purpose, I'm not hopeless. Uh, you know, I'm trying to aggressively and daily, uh, consistently address my weight problem. But, but when I look at these women, I, I'm not sure, particularly the woman on the right with the red hair, because her purpose is she runs some kind of abortion defense fund. And I'm like, wow, is that's an interesting life purpose, defending abortion. And, and uh, you know, I, I'm not she's got seven kids, uh, you know, and so. I, I agree with you that I think a lot of people on the left suffer from a lack of purpose and they're struggling looking for one and social justice and all these other things becomes their purpose. I think they're hopeless. I think they're demoralized. And, and you're right. I'm not talking about a clinical insanity, but I'm talking about you follow a path of logic and it's so devoid of truth that you yeah. just end up saying a lot of things that sound crazy. No, it's a social insanity, and and I agree with you. It's a it's a fine term to use. I'm I'm not against it. I just want to make sure people don't get it confused with clinical insanity. Um, but it's a perfectly reasonable term to use. In fact, you know, I would say that what people 
fail to realize along the lines of mental health or the human psychology is how fragile it is. And this is what I said the other day when we were talking about um, guns and, and the, the safety or efficacy of guns from a societal standpoint is we're all a situation or two away from from um, being in a, uh, you know, in a position where our clinical diagnosis could be seen as insane, because there is some social relativism to what insanity even is is deemed as. You know, the, the DSM, the, the Diagnostical uh, Statistical Manual has changed over the years. It used to include uh, gender dysphoria. Now it doesn't. I think that was a preemptive strike on, on the DSM and, and a, a bigger social uh, a bigger social taboo. But regardless, I think the term insanity is fine. I think some of these ideas do get so devoid from from truth and logic that it's the first stumbling block to a real clinical insanity. And we do see that on the left or on the right. The 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 extremisms of political ideologues often end in and uh, personality types and, and actions that can be deemed as as, you know, insane. I'll give you an example just just as a quick uh as a quick aside, um, a lot of people are talking about Roe versus Wade right now. Obviously, it's a hot topic in the news and and whether or not abortion is legal is obviously the, the, the landmark outcome of that case. But I thought the Burry lead was Norma McCorvey, who was the star character in that case. And I thought that um, the biggest takeaway for me wasn't the biggest takeaway for me or the buried lead, as I as I said, is that she was willing to lie on four individuals and claim that she had been raped um, for a political agenda, which she later admitted herself that she had lied on those four individuals, one of which happened to be a woman. Uh, so, I mean, you can see how how, you know, psychotic or insane that is just from a from a moral standpoint. Um, and, and I and I think that when we're talking about the human psychology, you take a person like Carl Jung, who said, if you want to know a person's motivation, you can look at their actions and then go back and infer the motive. And I think it says something about the Roe versus Wade case from a moral standpoint that one of the star characters in, in its inception um, was a pathological liar who was willing to lie for political reason. And I think the left is plagued by that. You say the left is plagued by that. I certainly agree with it. But you also said, and I agree, that look, either side of the political ledger can take you down that path. But I, I think it's less frequent and less of occurrence on the right. Am I right for thinking that? I think in today's society and in, in, in America, I think that's the case. I think if we look back historically, we have a different situation. You know, obviously what what Adolf Hitler and many of the, the fascist uh, political movements in that time period were trying to achieve was uh, just as psychotic and, and nefarious and pathological and dangerous and insane as, as anything that we see today. But they mimic each other. Right. And I think we've we've. Uh, We've lost our own sense of historicity and in and, and this psychological war that's taken place with misinformation in the media and, and part of the great scheme or the great strategy of the globalist agenda and their media partners is to break down people's cognitive map, to have people, uh, you know, have people's historicity fail. Uh, and we, you know, whether it was the fascist movements of, of the, you know, mid 1900s, or it's the, the neoliberal authoritarian movements, they mimic each other and, and we don't have to look at the 
right-left dichotomy of our time, we can look at the right-left dichotomy through history, and we certainly see it on the right. As it stands today, I think the right has a good moral position, um, the, the, the moderate right, right? But, but they're trying to make those people extremists, right? They'll say Steve Bannon is, is an extremist. They'll say Donald Trump is an extremist. They'll say Dave Chappelle is an extremist. They'll say I'm an extremist. Minister Louis Farrakhan is an extremist. Alex Jones is an extremist. Jason Whitlock is an extremist. So they're trying to, you know, use the uh, the ambiguity of our language too to to weaponize it and, and change what we view as extremism. But but uh, I, I view lying on four people in the interest of a political agenda, especially pertaining to uh, abortion law, uh, as 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 radical and dangerous and immoral as you possibly can get. Let me hit a little closer to home, and I'm not doing this to be argumentative. I'm doing it because one, I think you can handle the conversation and I'm asking respectfully. I wanna go straight to Minneapolis. I wanna go straight to George Floyd. One of the things that I think takes black people down the path of insanity is that because of the way things are framed up in the, over social media and in corporate media, we have to look at and treat George Floyd like a hero and an icon because of the last nine minutes of his life. Everything that happened before that nine minutes, we don't care about, it's all dismissed. And in order to say Derek Chauvin was incompetent here and abusive, we have to go the further step, which I think is a mistake of making George Floyd into this martyr, hero, the second coming of Emmett Till, uh, damn near the next Martin Luther King Jr. And again, w once you do that, it, it creates the appearance like, these people are crazy. G George Floyd is no one's hero. He's a victim, perhaps to some degree, of Derek Chauvin's incompetence. He's also a victim of his own bad decision-making, filling himself up with fentanyl. It's like, we can't have that honest conversation. We have to act like George Floyd is a saint and a sacred person worthy of statues and memorials and has to be revered. And anybody that mentions the fact that he was involved in porn, uh, he was involved in violent criminal activity, he was hyped up on drugs, any person that references those facts is a racist, and how dare they speak against the great George Floyd. I think that is a step, a small one, but it's a step towards insanity. I agree with you. I mean, look, you don't have to, you know, make George Floyd an icon or a hero in order to view what happened to him as unjust. And I certainly haven't done that in, in my advocacy or um, the protests that I led regarding George Floyd. I tried to keep the conversation in the scope of the greater social circumstance. Um, and, and by and large, look, I think the, the, so, the, the advent of social media was not by accident. I mean, the social media architects have come out now and, and admitted that they went for the weaknesses in the human psychology. The whole, the whole technocracy is, is built on it fundamentally, which is why mental health is even more so the great association we face now and going forward than it was in 2012. Um, and I think it's been 
it's been written on this, for lack of a better term, a binary code where it's like or dislike, right? Are people going to watch or not watch? Headline, no headline. Headline or bury lead, right? And it makes people gravitate towards um, extreme stances that are really one way or another. Um, and 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 we see that with the with the George Floyd uh, issue, but we see it with a lot of issues, and it and it's part and parcel of this demoralization. Because once you reach that point where you lack purpose and meaning in your life, you will gravitate towards the bandwagon, whether it's righteous or outright evil. Whatever bandwagon is closest to you that you feel that you could latch onto, you do it, and you'll ride that bandwagon right into into the abyss. Um, so, yeah, I mean, George Floyd was definitely a victim, I would say, of a greater social circumstance that many people don't want to discuss. But he doesn't have to be a hero at all. And, and in fact, I think that, you know, we saw we, we see on the left like this video clip of these women cheering uh, for abortion pills, you know, outside at their demonstration. And it's like it's one thing to to talk about the legitimacy of, of a woman's right to choose and whether or not a doctor's office is, you know, has enough room is in it, you know, or enough space in it, you could say, for a woman, her doctor in the United States government. It's another thing to cheer outright for abortion as though it's celebratory. I mean, that's just that's just outright evil. I want to play call up the Lori Bertram clip of her talking about unplanned pregnancies. Uh, do we have that uh, available? Can we play that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's play that and I want to get Royce's reaction. So like all of these things um, already intercede and, and block people's lives, whether or not they want to decide to, to um, become a parent. And then when you take another thing away that takes that makes it possible for you to decide whether or not you want a parent or not, it's always going to fall disproportionately on us because we already disproportionately end up with unplanned pregnancies because of medical racism, because of classism, because of all of these things that are oppressive in our states already. We already have a lack of comprehensive sex ed. We have a lack of all kinds of structural things that would make it easier for people to plan their pregnancies, for people to make better informed reproductive decisions. But we don't support those things in Mississippi. We don't support parenting. We don't support equal pay. We don't support, you know, childcare. We don't support paid time off for, you know, for um, when you have children, we don't support family leave, none of that. Free childcare, we barely let people get on TANF. We are one of the most restrictive states for TANF in the country. So anytime I hear Phil Bryant and Tate Reeves get on TV or get on a talk show talking about how we just want to protect the babies and we want to make sure that, you know, we're protecting children, but you don't care about children. You don't so I think what she said about unplanned pregnancy and it's because of medical racism and it's this and it's that and it's all because of what white people are doing. This again is a symptom of insanity that we have bought into, particularly those in the black community that are progressives or liberals or Democrats that are entire success in life is predicated on the actions of white people. That's insane. Like we don't have agency or self-determination and, and, and 
That is what I'm talking about when you buy into the mindset that white people control your destiny, that's a step towards insanity. It certainly speaks to an insecurity, a lack of self-confidence, a lack of purpose, a lack of hope, and being demoralized, but it's all from that, it's all an symptom of insanity. Am I right? Well, I mean, just number one, this is a common practice on the left as well, is people try and conflate 10 or 15 different issues into one moral question. And it's not to say that there's no nuance to any of these questions, but what she tried to do there was just absolutely, you know, corrupt in its, in its spirit, you know, whether or not Planned Parenthood, look, part of the conversation about abortion should rightfully land around a sexual conversation, a conversation about our sexual culture that's taboo or double taboo, you could say, and it's nestled inside the mental health conversation as well. So yeah, there's a rightful conversation that happened about our sexual culture, um, what we promote, what we glorify, what we've incentivized. Um, but <laughs> to try and take a child's life in the womb, especially for a black woman, and there is, there is a separation to be had between black America and the rest of America, not in a race way, but just in a historical way. Right. We every time you see a black woman go out and wholesale promote or vouch for abortion as a part of this holistic family planning. I mean, she's doing the work of Margaret Sanger, who is a known eugenicist. And you take a look at a person like Joy Reid or Rachel Maddow or any of these liberal left leaning political pundits who want to advocate that we take down every Confederate monument, which I really don't necessarily have a, an opinion on one way or another. Uh, but then they sit in front of the United States Capitol on their broadcast and they promote Planned Parenthood, which is as big a symbol of of historical white supremacy racism that we have in this country. I mean, the United States Capitol isn't isn't responsible for 30 million black babies dying in the womb. Uh, so, you know, I think people like her, are they're lost. They're demoralized. They're, they're trying to latch on to something meaningful, but they're falling way short of the, uh, you know, the the calling from God, you could say. Royce, do, do you know anything about Keith Olbermann? Did you follow his career? Uh, do, do, and, and it's fine if you don't. No, ro roll the clip. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it's, it's not what he said, it's what he tweeted. He connected the Michigan high school school shooting to Barstool Sports, and Dave Portnoy, the president, the founder of Barstool Sports. Uh, and, and it was kind of my jumping off point about how Keith is so locked into his political ideology that he just can't see straight. And he's, he's somehow, the, the shooter in Michigan, his mother wrote a blog post in 2016 supporting Donald Trump and Oberman is basically trying to argue, ah, this blog post proves that the school shooter is a Trump supporter and he's nuts and Trump supporters are bad and he's just like Dave Portnoy in Barstool Sports and it's, it's just absolute lunacy. This guy was as talented a sports broadcaster as there's ever been. 
People loved him and his work with Dan Patrick in the 90s. Uh, I enjoyed him even as a political firebrand on the left for MSNBC for a number of years. But he has gone completely off the deep end, and that's what basically inspired uh, the topics we talked about, the column I wrote, the monologue I did today. It's just like, I've sat here over the past 25 years and watched Keith Olbermann descend into the abyss, and it's because his entire ideology, or his entire identity, is connected to his political ideology, and that's why people get upset with me when I say I never voted. People get upset with me when I try to, I, I don't really want a political identity. I get cast as a conservative, but if I am, it's because of my religious faith, and it's because I grew up playing football and other sports, and I was taught a conservative worldview from the church and sports, not a political one, but I just think a, a, a political ideology as your identity is just very, very dangerous and will lead you away from the truth and eventually towards the path of insanity. Look, I don't know this Keith Overman guy. I probably would know him by face better if he's a, a sports writer. Um, but you take a guy like Mark Lamont Hill, for example, who I know, you know, and, and look, I got love for Mark, you know, from brother to brother. But I think a lot of our men and society have fallen victim to a sexual selection psychology that has preempted us to um, gravitate towards beta male personas, beta male ideologies and moral compasses. And I think this part of this leftist movement uh, is the beta project, right? And it's this unholy alliance between radical feminists and, and what I call like Loki characters, right? I say in my, le my latest letter to Black America on Substack, um, you know, Thor, the dominant alpha male, may trample your emotions in his own self-absorption, but Loki will stab you in the back when you least expect it. And I think a lot of these feminists or this effeminate energy is trying to protect its future iteration of authoritarianism, where they say, if we can make, if we can make cultural revolt lukewarm and we can make the men docile, then we don't have to worry about much violence when we take over and become tyrannical. Uh, and, and I think that the women, the radical feminists believe that the that the beta males will sit by and allow that. But when all the alpha males are gone, these types of people are going to turn, you know, bloodthirsty and murderous, too. And, and I think this whole beta male project is one of the greatest light of hands uh, in our modern American culture. And it is disgusting to me. I, I don't give these guys a second look I, beta. You're a beta male. That's it. On the shelf. I'm not even going to not even going to deal with it. Thank you, Royce. Uh, great job. Hey, oh, I, I forgot to tell you, just before we had you on, uh, we had Steve Kim, uh, former ESPN boxing writer, been involved with boxing for a long time. And I t told him that, hey, look, Royce White, the former NBA first round draft pick, says he's going to eventually be heavyweight champion of the boxing world. I said, first, he's going to be an MMA UFC champion. 
and so I want to connect you and Steve Kim at some point. He does a boxing podcast with Mario Lopez, uh, the actor or whatever. Uh, I, I want to connect you to Steve has some thoughts. He, we, we talked about Ed Tutal Jones. I don't know if you remember him. You're probably way too young, but he went into boxing. Uh, the former Cowboys defensive end, Alonzo Highsmith, who was a great football player for the University of Miami and had played in the NFL. He went into boxing. And so he had some thoughts about your move into the boxing world. Because when you told me that last night, I was kind of surprised. Uh, if I'll give you a few seconds here to end. Tell people why you're passionate about the fight game and your plans uh, in the fight game. Um, well, you know, I'm, first things first is, you know, I got to get through my match, my first professional fight next Friday uh, in mixed martial arts. And I've been training mixed martial arts now for a few years under Coach Greg Nelson at the academy here in Minneapolis. And uh, he's, he's one of the best martial arts instructors and coaches in the world. Um, and, you know, part of the part of the motivation for me to switch sports was that I had been blackballed, but also that team sports has become, you know, cartel driven almost. Right. And there's an anti competitiveness in it. We see that in the drafts. Right. I think the the whole efficacy of the draft has watered down sports where teams get to draft you and set a price. That's that's cartel stuff, man. And it's all predicated on anti competitiveness which is part and parcel of a beta male complex. Um, and, and I think that, you know, the for me, being the individual that I am and wanting to speak out on certain things and, and be a champion of the people, I think every champion should strive to be the champion of the people. Um, but I, I feel that I have been a champion of the people. Um, and now it's time to attach some gold and some hardware and, some, and translate that to the athletic world. And I've loved the fight game since I was young. Um, I enjoy doing it. I enjoy training. I enjoy the, the human chess match of it. Um, and, you know, mixed martial arts, I think, is going to be good for me. I'm excited about next Friday. Uh, but but I have boxing in, in, in the, my back pocket as well or, you know, in my sights as well. And I just don't think many heavyweights or I don't think boxing or mixed martial arts has yet to get the best crop of athletes. Um, and, and as that starts to happen, I think you'll see the face of both sports change, some, at least in the heavyweight division. Um, and, and that's not taken away from any of the great heavyweights that have have been around up until this point. I mean, Muhammad Ali is is one of my most influential idols, hand over fist. Um, but, you know, LeBron James, from an athletic standpoint, as a heavyweight boxer, would have been a much, uh, would have been a sight to behold, let's just say that, so. Gotta be able to take a punch, not just deliver one. True, true. <laughs> I'm not Thank worried about you, that. Thank you, so I'm not, I'm not worried oh, about that. I'm talking about LeBron James. LeBron James <laughs> can't handle getting punched. <laughs> yeah, maybe. maybe. <laughs> Happy Thanksgiving All to right, you. Thank You're you, Royce. Appreciate you guys. Happy Thanksgiving. Same to you. All right, uh, I want to tell you guys about an event I'm doing with Renew.org uh, this Sunday. On yesterday's show during our Tennessee Harmony segment, segment, you watch pastors Bobby Harrington and Anthony Walker have a spirited conversation with me about the death penalty and Kanye's conversion to Christianity and his unending love affair with Kim Kardashian. It was very intense. 
the debate was and the three of us had, but those debates are what I love about having the pastors on. Our conversations are based on how to become a better person and more importantly, a better follower of Christ. That's why you need to go to their website at renew.org slash events and register for our event that is being held this Sunday night at 7 p.m. right here in Nashville. You can attend in person or online. We will be discussing race, gender, uh, the alphabet mafia, gluttony, music, and other cultural influences. This conversation will point everyone back to scripture and the importance of faithfulness to their local church. So go over to renew.org slash events right now to register and attend this great event that we are having. You need to register whether you are going in person or virtually. That's renew.org slash events. Trust me, this is going to be a fearless conversation you will not want to miss. All right, Uncle Jimmy and our approval rating for Keith Olbermann. Next! All right, welcome back. Time to wrap up the show and uh, get a review of the show from uh, Uncle Jimmy and an approval rating on Keith Olbermann. Uh, you know what? We may just have to just start turning this into an approval rating on me, but I don't know if it would be very interesting because I would probably just get a hundred or a ninety-nine every day. I certainly would today. I'm sure uh, you would agree with that, Jim. I was I was flawless. Um, you did hear me say that this is the day before Friday, aka day before payday. Yes, you would. <laughs> It is the day before payday. I was born at night. I wasn't born last night. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what side your bread is buttered on? <laughs> uh, I loved our discussion about uh, Mark Lamont Hill and the rap group Two Tons of Fun, uh, Homie the Clown and Professor Crump, or is it Clump or Crunk, Chump, Chump? Chump, Chump. <laughs> Same thing, don't. <laughs> uh, anyway, I, I just, your thoughts on today's show? Man, you, I heard you making a two tons of fun reference. Yeah. And I, I, I ain't even gonna lie, man. I, I thought that that was like a severe case of like the dopamine pincher calling the great dame a dog. <laughs> you know, it, it's kind of like me when I look at Flavor Flav and I be like, well, damn, I ain't that ugly. <laughs> I mean, so I guess you can call people two tons of fun. I mean, it is a limit to what you can do, man, honestly, man. Uh, look, I don't deny that I'm fat, but... Uh, I don't consider you fat, Jason. Yeah, we're just big bone. Incredibly big bone. <laughs> it's a difference. Yeah, there is a difference. Yeah. That, doesn't mean, that doesn't mean I'm blind. Just because I'm fat doesn't mean I'm blind. And I can, I can recognize two tons of fun when I see it. And you have a right to. Yeah. You have a right to. All right. Uh, uh, you brought you a... Uh, let, let me j go, go to your guy you just had, Royce. Oh, Roy. Oh, you're going to skip ahead to Royce. Yeah, if I can. If yeah, I go may. ahead. Go ahead. Because I, I, I want to just say this about Royce, man. Yep. Hey, man, Royce. Man, Royce is of all of your guests. We call uh, Delano. The, hey, man, Royce, for real, comes out here and drops some somber knowledge. Honest to goodness. He was talking to you today about cognitive behavior. Do you know that I am an instructor in cognitive behavior and I actually taught cognitive behavior in the jail where I worked at? And I actually, we had 63 inmates that were certified and said that they wanted, that they 
completed the cognitive behavior plan because they wanted to learn a different way of thinking? You taught people in jail. Cognitive behavior. Mm. It's just teaching. That could have been a TV show. <laughs> that would have been better than Desperate Housewives. <laughs> well, in this case, it was Desperate House Dudes. <laughs> that would have been a hell of a TV show. But yeah, one thing I think you're pointing out is like, Royce has a vocabulary, don't he? Oh, definitely. It's like, I need to be out here with my uh, Webster's Dictionary sometime. Well, yeah, and, and the other thing is, uh, if I may, and I'm just yeah. going to ask this, could you, I mean, because we, we, we at Fearless, you know, we say we're Fearless, but we... We try to smile a little bit, man. Yeah. Can you ask Royce to smile? I, I would, well. Hey, man, Royce scares the hell out of white people, man. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, man. <laughs> he said, I ain't got the beard and anything, but he do, he leans back kind of with a little, yeah. Yeah, honestly, can, I mean, just I'm saying, just can he just. Six foot bit. eight Malcolm X is what you're basically saying. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, just, you know, and, and I'm, I want to ask you this, and I might be yeah. out of line because he said he want to fight. He, he wants to, hey, man, hook him up with your boy. Who? Sean Merriman. <laughs> Royce versus Sean Merriman. This, woo. <laughs> Wait, you don't even want to comment on that with you. <laughs> I don't. Because you know the wrong answer means an ass whipping right around the corner, right? <laughs> you know, I, I'm going to ask Sean Merriman about that. Yeah. Does he want to deal lights out versus Royce White? <laughs> Ooh, boy. Boy. Yeah, I'm surprised you didn't think about that mm, one. That's a good one. All right. Let's ask our guy Steve Kim about it. Yeah, yeah. Who? how would he handicap that fight? Yeah. Mm. And, and, you know, man, Steve, because when I was listening to Steve talking, Steve said that he's talking about uh, Oberman, and did he say he's he has a high IQ, but he's a little off in the head? Pretty much, yeah. I thought he was talking about you. Yeah, I, I, look, I called him on that. He talked about job hopping and all that other stuff, and I made it. Yeah, yeah, then he yeah. said talking about Jimmy, uh, talking about being on more teams than Jimmy Butler. Yeah. You know damn good <laughs> well he was talking about you. <laughs> That's why I asked. Hey, man, he think he's slick, man. Yeah. And then he going to say to a child to be slick, talking about, hey, Jay, <laughs> when you were in Kansas City, did you leave any bones in the closet? <laughs> What the hell he think you do in your bedroom? <laughs> hell yeah, you left bones in the closet. The dresser, the shower, and everywhere else. Damn. There's some truth to that. Uh, then he gonna crack the little joke shooting. I'm yeah. sorry, I didn't crack a little joke talking about it's like going to an Asian driving school. Man, that's almost like putting an Irishman in charge of a liquor store. Oh. <laughs> or like putting a black dude in charge of a check cashing place. <laughs> you know that ain't gonna end well, man. Come on, man. Come on, man. Yeah. You got anything for a Shamok show? Oh, Maybe. definitely, definitely. Yeah. Um, Shamika, can I ask you a question, man? Yeah. Well, first of all, I told you last week when Shamika was here, I said that the only word I could really use to describe Shamika was damn. Right? Yeah. Now, you know, we had a guest, and I ain't lying. The guest said that he Googled, he said, Uncle Jimmy ain't lying. He said, I Googled Shamika, and it said the same damn thing. It said damn. <laughs> so I'm just saying, I, Uncle Jimmy ain't lying. Yeah. You know, I mean, Shamika, Shamika kind of, rem- last time I used the analogy and said she, you know, a Jimmy bar. Shamika in the Fearless Army kind of remind me of a payday. Mm. Beautiful caramel just surrounded by a whole bunch of nuts. What? <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> Not bad. Not paydays. Probably my favorite candy bar. I figured you'd yeah. like that. Yeah, I like that. 
And, and see, but now I will say this. You're starting to let Shamika get a little carried away. How's that? You let her drop a Tom's Dick is Harry reference. <laughs> <laughs> and you didn't even say nothing to her about it. <sighs> but I, I'm not going to lie. I love Shamika. She keep it real because she just said it straight out. She said that the woman had seven kids and then she turned into a lesbian. Well, hell yeah, she turned to a lesbian. That damn thing didn't have no trade-in value. <laughs> of course it turned to, she, she turned into a lesbian. <laughs> then she's sitting there talking about, she got a, talking about she's got to drive a, a, a handicapped van. <laughs> hell, all them women got to drive a handicapped van. You can't get all that ass in a Volkswagen. What the hell you expect? <laughs> Come on, man. <sighs> you better check the Carfax. <laughs> you better check the Carfax. <laughs> All right, uh, uh, that's not a bad review, Jim. Uh, you covered everything and everybody. Uh, let's get to our approval rating on Keith Oberman. Are you are you an over? Base man, I'm looking. Are, you must be an Oberman fan. Job performance. Uh, I'm. He's out of a job, as far as I know. He tweets over Twitter. Uh, that seems to be his job. I'm gonna give him a one for job performance. He doesn't I, have one. I give him a twenty-five. How? Because he, look at all the places he's been, look at everything he's done. He's what they call a professional troll. And he's doing a damn good job that's, of it. That's not bad. As a troll, you're right. You've got his job as a troll. I've got his job as a tweeter. Uh, character, I think he's low character. Uh, I think he's wrapped in an enigma of lies, a cocoon of lies. I'd give him a two in character. I'd give him a 25. How? Because he's showing his true character. You do know that there's a seat available over at CNN, right? <laughs> you do know there's an available seat. He's like, hey, you know, I'm, he, he's showing MSNBC. I put in that work. He's showing CNN. Hey, I'm about that. That's right. That's okay. Right. He show he ain't beyond going after hell. He went after That's that girl. That's the only network he hasn't worked at. I think it's CNN. There you go. There you go. Complete the trifecta. He's there it is. For, he worked for Fox Sports and MSN. Yeah. So there CNN. Authenticity. I do think he's authentic. He's a nut job, and uh, I think he's authentic about. It. I give him a twenty-four in authenticity. Uh, I give him a twenty-five. I consider him to be a man without morals. <laughs> He'll say any damn thing for a paycheck. It's <laughs> <laughs> a lot of truth there. Uh, it factor. Uh, I'm going to go, you know, Keith has, he's one of them cat people. You know, he, he's got a collection of cats, I believe. Uh, one of those cat men. Uh, so <laughs> his cats love him. I'll give him a four uh, in it factor. Oh, my stomach just growled. <laughs> <laughs> hurry up. We better hurry up. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, I give him a zero uh, for a factor. Because he just, the, 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 for it factor, because that dude just don't do it for me, man. Yeah. Honestly, yeah he ain't my kind of guy. Somehow, you got him at a 75 and a grease fire. Keith Oberman is a dumpster fire if we've ever had one on this show. Hey, man. I, you didn't notice, but he was up. He, he, was, he, he almost got Max Kellerman's job. That's right. Versus Stephen A. Smith. Well, no, he wanted. He just wanted that spot. You know, he said he would say whatever Stephen wanted him to say. But, uh, <laughs> he wanted that job. Hell, he wants Snoop's job working with uh, what, what's that lady's name? Yeah, he wants Snoop's job working with Martha Stewart. Max gonna get somebody. Uh, uh, Cole, uh Oberman, he gonna get somebody job. I, well, one, he's made enough money. He don't need to work. 
he settled yeah, well, I heard his ass was in Nashville. I got nervous as hell. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll see you tomorrow. Looking like it's my time